Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am so happy to see you. If you are a guest here today, so am I. <laughs> My name is Matt. I, uh, I was a pastor for 20 years before moving to what I'm doing now and spending time helping churches improve their discipleship, helping churches develop leaders. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you. I, um, I have... I have been a friend of Pastor Leon's for a long time. I have been a part of renovation since before renovation existed. Um, if I recall, I, I believe I was the secretary on the organizing committee. So, so I come as family, and it is good to see my renovation family. If this is your first time with us here at Water Place, if this is your first time with us online, welcome. Uh, I hope that you know that we are glad that you're here. It is an honor to have you here with us. We hope that you will find that this is a place and a people where you are invited to belong even before you believe. That you are invited, encouraged to find family even before you might follow Jesus. We want absolutely nothing from you. We simply want to point you to Jesus and his way of life. My personal hope this morning is that each and every single one of us will walk away more convinced that God loves you and better equipped to love everyone that God puts into your path. It's an honor to be able to continue this series through this part of the New Testament that we call Acts. So I'd love for you to join me if you have a digital or paper copy of the scriptures you could join me in Acts chapter 2. We'll also have the text that I'll be reading and that we'll digging into shortly. This is an opportunity for us to encounter the Jesus Revolution, an outbreak of God's desire for all people and everything that he has made. Last week, we watched a diverse community experience God. And now here this morning, this diverse community, culturally diverse, economically and ethnically diverse, diverse in gender and generation. We are invited and welcomed by God to experience him. So today, the revolution continues. In this story where this God meets his people in their confusion and their guilt, and we experienced the Jesus revolution here, in this place, as I share this message about God's beloved community entitled, Who Are My People? Who Are My People? I'm in Acts chapter 2. I want to read verses 36 and 37. I will be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and this is what we read. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom y'all crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Someone say pierced. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? This is the word of the Lord. 
Will you repeat after me, thanks be to God. I would love for you to pray for me as I pray for you as we go to God together. Let's pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, keep your family here across the city and around the world on your good road. And may we who hope in the loving, empowering presence that we call grace, may we find the protection and provision that we need through King Jesus, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and your Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You know, one of the surprising truths in a divided world is how you need significant relationships with people who are different than you. You know, as we go back and think about our stories from way back to right now, when we think about lines that are crossed culturally, ethnically, economically, gender, generation, as we think about our family, our friends, as we think about marriage, as we think about work, as we think about places that we go and we enjoy good things, as we think about church, every single one of us has stories about how we are different because we have lived life. We have developed significant relationships with people who are not exactly like us. As you make your way through this world, looking for, discovering, wondering who are my people, you are on the right track wanting to belong to an intercultural, intergenerational community, like this church, where different groups of people show up desiring to honor one another, to not only share the gifts that we have with other people, but to receive the gifts that different people have and offer to us. But that desire has become far too easily damaged and dismissed. That desire runs into problems that resist God's desire for all of us. Problems that reject God's vision of the beloved community. Now, if time allowed, we could walk through the scriptures from beginning to end, and we, would, we could trace the divisions culturally, generationally, gender, ethnicity, economically, through the pages of the scriptures. We, we could see how these divisions have been created by this dark spiritual force that we call sin that weaponizes the differences that we share and embody together. That dark power bunches us into systems of economic and ethnic and religious segregation. That dark power flays our hearts and minds into a false hierarchy where some of us carry a sense of superiority. We see the world from our perspective and think that's just simply the way things are. While others of us navigate the world through the lens of Du Bois's double consciousness, 
through the lens of them, seeing ourselves through their eyes, having to measure our worth through the evaluative weight of their contempt. This story shows up in every culture and every generation, around the world, in every country, across this city, and it consistently, from the beginning of time until now, marginalizes the same kinds of people. Women, children, the elderly, ethnic minorities, and the poor. And that dark power obfuscates the Genesis to Revelation testimony that the people of God in Jesus should be a source of blessing and a dispenser of the good life for everyone, everywhere. Now I think back on my own life. And as I've learned over time how complicated and painful it is to develop these significant relationships with people who are different than ourselves. How complicated and difficult and sometimes painful it can be to step into life with someone else, seeking to honor them by sharing our gifts and receiving their gifts that can only be found in the places across these dividing lines. Tomorrow would have been Trayvon Martin's 29th birthday. Is it okay if we talk about this? We are weeks away from the anniversary of his death in 2012. Now, in 2012, I uh, was pastoring a, a great church in Athens, Georgia. Um, I uh, was a, a white Presbyterian ministering to white Presbyterians. That was my life. I grew up with diverse relationships, and by 2012, in God's kindness and providence, I was developing relationships with people whose ethnic diversity was a gift to me including Pastor Leon's. And I can remember how distinct and different the reaction was in my world at Trayvon's death than it was in my friend's world. I did not understand, but I was curious to talk with this growing network of friendships, of brothers from different places, from different generations, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, but to a man to hear and sit and find my eyes welling with tears as to a man they told the story of their own racialized trauma. I didn't know what that was because that is not my story. But by the grace of God, there was a curiosity and 
And my dad, who was a trained historian, as his son, out of my curiosity, I began to dig, and what I found changed me. I don't mean that casually. What I mean is that the pain of my friends, the pain that they entrusted to me, changed the trajectory of my life and my work. It changed me. I am here 12 years later to bear witness to the particular grace of God that because of my friendships with these men, because of the relationships that I've developed with women that I am able to call friends, and I could rattle off the names here even as they come to mind, and I could say, I am a more loving person because of them. I am, a, I am more like Jesus because of them. I, I am becoming who God made me to be because of relationships across cultural, ethnic, gendered, and generational lines. I don't know how often or how well you find yourself crossing those lines. I don't know the risks that you have taken to develop significant relationships with people who are different than you. I do not know your scars. I do not know your stresses. I do not know your tears and I do not know your trauma. But what I do know is that this episode in front of us in the Jesus Revolution provides two gifts that meets us in our confusion, that meet us in our guilt, that help us to get started or to continue on God's good intercultural, intergenerational road. Those two gifts are this, clarity and grace. Clarity and grace. The first gift that God gives us in this text is clarity. As you enter into and live in and walk along God's good intercultural, intergenerational road, God promises to clarify your confusion. Life together in an intergenerational, intercultural community is confusing because each culture and each generation has a particular set of beliefs and behaviors that they have developed over time through their own experience that helps them make sense of the world. For instance, this week, I found out two particular no-nos when you are texting with Gen Z. Number one, do not end a text with a period. They believe the conversation is now over. Second, if you have an iPhone, and of course you do because you are God's chosen elect, <laughs> don't use tap backs because that is seen as rude and impolite. Now, as with every cultural generalization, it is consistently true, if not universally applicable. So don't come at me, Gen Z, if you think that this is nonsense. I'm just telling you what your people say. But I, 
as a proud member of the forgotten generation, Generation X. Hey, let's go. <laughs> I don't understand, y'all. Some of y'all are wondering, what's a tap back? It's the thing that when somebody sends you a message on the iPhone, you press it, and there's a cloud, and there's a heart, and there's a thumbs up, and a thumbs down, and an exclamation point, and a question mark, and a ha-ha. That's a tap back. My second question is, how do you end a declarative sentence if you don't use a period? It's a reminder that every other culture and generation thinks your culture and generation, there's something wrong with y'all. Life together across these lines, culturally, economically, ethnically, generationally, gendered, is confusing. Sometimes the confusion is kind of funny. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes you wonder, what's the point? Why mess with this? Why mess with them people? Why can't my people just be my people? Same culture, same generation. It makes me think back to the text that y'all looked at last week in Acts chapter 2. Spirit breaks out. The first wave of Jesus' apostles begin to speak in the native languages of this Diverse collection of people gathered in the city of Jerusalem, and people are confused. Chapter 2, verse 12 says they are perplexed. Their minds are spinning. We're told that in the text that they go, what in the world is going on here? Are these people crazy? Are these men drunk? And here is the response. Beginning in verse 14, if you have a copy of the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read through verse 24. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk. Are you crazy? It's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Hold on, Zach Morris, time out. If you are wondering how from this text, PL and I, because we worked on this one together, how we got to focusing on intercultural, intergenerational community, it is that phrase, all people, because the spirit of God does not limit himself to particular peoples. All right, done with the time. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. 
The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Amen. Hallelujah. These men are not drunk. They are doing the work of God relying on each other to live in the reality where God gathers people together so they might experience God. Let's get clear. God wants you to know him. God made you to experience him. But I cannot experience God without you. And you cannot experience God without me. We cannot experience God in the fullness of his love until people who are not our people become our people. Is that easy? No, sir. Will it get messy? Wait till you get to Act 6. Can it be programmed? Not unless you're a robot. Is it possible? Come back in two weeks. Is it clear? I hope so. I hope so. You were made for God. And you experienced God most fully in a life-giving line-crossing relationship with people of different classes, cultures, genders, and generations, where we have experienced that individually and collectively. Clap that up. Celebrate it. It's a gift from God. And where we have rejected doing life together, let's go to God for grace. God gives us clarity in our confusion along his good intercultural, intergenerational road, and he also gives us grace. What should we do? That's the question in verse 37 that we read. That is a question for the helpless and the hopeless. That was the question that I asked November 23rd, 2004, after my wife had given birth and I had to change my first diaper. What should we do? It's the question that I think every single one of us have asked when we're in a relationship and there's been conflict and it's healthy, good conflict. We've, we've listened to one another. We put all of our cards on the table, but we recognize that both of us have played a part in this, but, but there is no easy solution. We do not know how to move ahead and we look at each other and we ask, what should we do? This is a question asked in chapter two, verse 37 of Acts, not out of people who are confused, but a people who are also gasping under the weight of their own guilt. What do they do? Well, the text says, y'all crucified Jesus, which is not an indictment on an entire ethno-religious group. Rather, it is a historic reality that points us to the painful reminder that God's people here in this text have systematically and systemically rejected God and his way of life. Because the marginalized people of God, the people that God has liberated from oppression, the people that God has liberated so that they might bless everyone everywhere, have lost their way. 
They have cursed instead of blessed. They have crushed instead of coronated. They have excluded rather than embraced. They are guilty, so what should they do? Church is hard, y'all. Life together is complicated and messy. And sometimes you and I make it even more complicated and messy because we choose to reject God's good design for our life together. We have our reasons, we have our ways. I am not here to meddle. What I am here to do is to help you. When spirit pierces your heart, verse 37, when spirit exposes your guilt as an individual person, as a church, because you somehow, some way, have become complicit with the dark forces of sin to isolate yourself, to exclude others from the invitation to follow Jesus together. Maybe you feel the weight of spirit now, doing what only spirit can, to poke and press on you with surgical precision on a particular point in life and a particular part of life where you, in a way that you understand this to be real and true, hear the Spirit say, this is what I'm seeing, and you say, you're right, and that's on me. My bad. I own this. What do I do? Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 31. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, Peter testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Repent, be baptized, receive the Spirit. I'm going to show you what that means in just a minute. And for those of you who have never done that before, we're going to give you clear next steps how you might do that today. But first, let's, let's call this what it is. Our response to guilt that is pressed on us by the Spirit of God our response to guilt is to rely on grace. My understanding, biblically and theologically, is that God's grace, yes, it is undeserved, but the actual stuff and substance of it is this. God's grace is God's loving, empowering presence that provides new perspective, new posture, and new power in this text. When you mess up along God's good road, go to God. Please go to God and let his grace get you back on track. Here's the best news that I have. It's staring at us right there in verse 36 of chapter 2. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. That is the gospel. Jesus is the Savior of the people that he loves. And he is king over all creation. Jesus is the saving king. And because Jesus is the saving king, 
You have everything that you need to walk along God's good intercultural, intergenerational road. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Everything you need to honor people who are different than you. Everything that you need to share your life with other people. Everything that you need to receive the gifts that they want to give you from their own culture and their own generation. That is yours because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you are invited to be the church. You are invited to live different. Go back to verse 38. What is repentance? What is repentance other than beginning to see life through God's point of view and living from a different perspective? What is baptism? Stepping into a relationship with Jesus as the sovereign. You're now living with a different posture. When you receive the spirit of God, what is he giving to you? He's giving you himself, which means he is giving you unlimited, infinite power to do his work, his way. Because of Jesus, you can be the church. Because of Jesus, you can live different, with a different perspective on life, from a different posture in life, with a different power for living. And look, if you are not sure about church, I get it. I do not know your story, but I'm sure there is a story. Some of you have been deeply hurt by church. I know how that feels. I will say this. If you're not ready to do more than just show up, I hope you'll just keep showing up. Stay open, stay curious. Be curious about what God might be up to, not only in your life, but in the life of these people that you seem to be drawn to, even if you are hesitant. Being the church along God's good road is an invitation to be different and to be curious as you navigate what God is doing in you and through you. Here's a spoiler. God will build his church. His kingdom will come until you and I cannot tell the difference between earth and heaven. Renovation, from all that I know and hear and see, is on the way. Living along God's good intercultural, intergenerational road. Joining in a global outbreak of salvation is the desire of God for all people's spreads like wildfire, an expansion, an extension in breadth and depth of the beloved community. So keep going. Stick together. Rely on God's grace. He'll give you clarity. He's promising to keep you on the good road. He'll give you all that you need to be his people and to not devolve into an isolated, segregated community. The world needs you. The world needs y'all. I'd love for the band to come up. The, the one thing that I, that I don't want you to miss out of all of this is, is the gift that Jesus gives us in his grace. The loving, empowering presence of God is what turns visions and dreams into reality. The grace of God is, is, is why 3,000 people joined the Jerusalem church in verse 41. 
the, the grace of God is why y'all are hoping and believing and working to see, by God's grace, 84 baptisms, 560 new folks showing up here by the end of August. God loves you. God will always be with you. God will always and forever give you everything that you need. That is grace. And God brought you here to lavish you with his grace. Have you not felt the love of God as you walked into this building? Have you not felt the presence of God as we've sung together? Have you not felt the power of God as you hear his voice, as you hear his invitation to be his people that always takes you one step further than you think you can go on your own because that is true, but God will meet you there and provide you with everything that you need. And it is God's grace that meets us in this moment as we enjoy communion together with Jesus and this family of faith. As the host team passes around bread and the fruit of the vine, we're gonna eat and drink together. And, and you should join us. This does not belong to Renovation Church. This is Jesus's meal. And if you're here and if you have been baptized and you have made a public profession of faith, you've publicly declared your allegiance to Jesus and you are living as a disciple of the Lord and Messiah, Jesus. You are growing in your capacity to sacrificially love everyone, including your enemies owning and admitting the ways that your life does not match up with what Jesus intends for your life to be, then you should eat this meal. There are only two reasons that you should not join us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, by your own admission, you walked in here and right now you would say, I'm not a Christian, I don't intend for that to change today. Then this, this is a family meal and, and you're not, you're, you're not family quite yet, even though we desperately want and hope and pray that that might be true for you. But we wanna honor your integrity and your choice and where you are today. The other reason why you should not eat this meal is if you walked into this room today and you have said and you have lived as a follower of Jesus, but there is a particular part and pattern of your life where you know it is out of step and accord with the way of Jesus, and you know it. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to press on you. It's not something that I look at and you don't agree. I'm saying that there is something that you know that is out of step with Jesus, and you have no intention to change. That is an important point, because if you are struggling, if you are flailing, if you are trying, and you just find yourself struggling under the weight of habitual sin, that does not discount you. That does not keep you away from this meal. It is simply for anyone here, and I hope it is no one who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but not that, and I have no intention to change. And the reason that I would ask you not to eat this meal today is because I believe you have different business with Jesus. I want to invite you to do and have a very complicated, difficult conversation 
which is for you where you are sitting or standing to go to Jesus and to tell him why you have no intention of changing your life to follow his way of life. And then let him respond. What you will find is what we always find. A Jesus who is compassionate and full of a delight in you that we can barely fathom, but we experience his joy. A God, a Jesus who is slow to get angry and who overflows in a love that never whacks and never wanes it. It is for you, even in your stubbornness, even in your resistance. Spend this time with him and let him do what only he can do. But for everyone here who is a follower of Jesus, a disciple of our rabbi, would you come with me to a room much smaller than this 2,000 years ago with far fewer people than are gathered here in this room? And would you open and place bread in your hands? And would you hear the voice of Jesus say to you and to your family in this room, this is my body, a gift for you. Remember me as you eat it. Let's eat together. And as you open and are able to look and see the fruit of the vine in this cup, would you also hear and remember the words of Jesus? The God has made a promise to you, says Jesus, written in my blood, poured out for you. Don't forget that the God who makes promises always keeps his promises as you drink. Let's pray together as a family. So having listened and being willing to do what you want, Jesus, we ask you for your help, that the grace that now fills our bodies will encourage us and empower us to keep walking your good intercultural, intergenerational road. And all the people of God said, amen.